Today I'm going to continue our series, uh, Behold the Savior. That is our title, or the title today of our lesson is this, Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is used in reference of Jesus in Revelation 19, verse 16. And um, it, it denotes the idea of Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It denotes supremacy, right? That's what it's trying to communicate. That of all the kings out there, he's the king of the kings. Of all the lords out there, he is the Lord of the lords. And you could you can take this to more practical things for us. Of all the presidents out there, he is the president of the presidents. Of all the chiefs out there, he is the chief of the chiefs. Of all the prime ministers, he is the prime minister of the prime ministers. Of all the bosses out there, he is the boss of the boss. Do you understand? The idea, the idea is that Jesus holds supremacy over everything. And this is certainly a concept we see throughout the scriptures. Colossians chapter 1, it says, uh, beginning in verse 15, it says, The Son, about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Again, this is the concept that he is, Jesus is supreme. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There's another great verse in Philippians chapter 2 that gives us even a, a, a nice little insight into a glimpse into kind of how this process works or how this happened. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Amen. the Father. What an amazing verse, and what an amazing process I mean, think about that. We just read how Jesus is supreme. And John chapter 1 teaches us that the supremacy of Jesus came, it, it, it was before time, before creation. Jesus was there. He was, uh, he was supreme. And what we just read is that Jesus surrendered his supremacy and he died for you and for me. But then God restored his supremacy to him. So it's an amazing process to think about this 
Jesus being King of kings and Lord of lords. So today, for our lesson, here's what I'd like to do. Instead of studying out Jesus's heavenly, you know, post-crucifixion supremacy, and thus sort of admiring it, you know, from a distance, and like, there he is, King of kings, Lord of lords. Yes, we agree. It's amazing, and it's awesome. What I'd like to do instead is I'd like to take a closer look at this process that we just read about. I'd like to read a little bit more about Jesus on the cross. I'd like to see close up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in action. I'd like to see what holy supremacy looks like. Not not the great triumph that is what we're reading here, which is a great triumph, but I'd like to see supremacy in its darkest hour. And I'd like to see how it handles itself. What does it do? I'd like to see Jesus during his pain, during his rejection, during his disappointment, because I think that this will give us an even greater, uh, even more tangible appreciation for what his supremacy is all about. And, a little bonus, you might even learn ways you can be more like Jesus. All right? So let's do that. Let's dive in. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read to you John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Does vamos mean go? Is that what it... Oh, let's go. Okay, I think you meant... You want me to go? I'm like, oh, okay. Amen, bro. Gracias to you. Thank you. I know a few words, but that's about... I'm learning. I'm learning. Amen. Yes, thank you. We're going to read John chapter 19, and we're going to look at Jesus on the cross moments before he dies and surrenders the supremacy so that we can learn... From him. Let's read John chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. That, that's sarcasm there, if you didn't catch it. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to, to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the, the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, 
If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar, they said. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king, but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to, to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Point number one, holy supremacy brings conviction over conformity. You know, this is a very interesting uh, part of the story that I just read you. Here we see Pilate, as you know, is the Roman governor. He's the Roman official, and he's got a decision to make. It is completely within his uh, authority at this time to thumbs up, Jesus lives, thumbs down, Jesus dies. But we see from the story, he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to crucify Jesus. In fact, he seems a little bit afraid of Jesus, but... He's swayed by the crowd. He conforms. He gives in to public pressure. Jesus, in contrast, in what I just read, is nothing but conviction. Nothing but conviction. When he's silent, there's conviction. And then later when he talks, there's conviction. Jesus is just dripping in conviction. So you've got Pilate on one hand who knows what is right, but decides, for whatever his reasons are, to go with the crowd instead. Like a boat on an ocean, tossed by the waves, with no sail, just going wherever the waves take him. In contrast, though, you see Jesus standing right there like a boat on the ocean with a motor, knowing exactly where it's going, knowing exactly what he's about. He's clear what he believes Jesus is and has the courage to do it, even in the midst of public opinion. Listen, I am not suggesting here that there aren't times to collaborate, because certainly there are. There are times for us to listen to each other, to be humble, to sacrifice, you know, to work together, to compromise for a greater cause. That certainly is an important part of being a Christian. But that's not what's going on here. That's not at all what's going on here. What's going on here is we got a man who knows what's right and won't do it. Refuses to do what is right. Listen, it's hard. It is hard to be a person of conviction, especially in the midst of public pressure. It's easier it's so much easier to conform. My daughter and I, not long ago, were at a bakery in Montclair. And we went, it's a small little bakery right on a corner. And it was full of people. And um, we went in and we were placing an order. But in this little bakery that was full of people, and a lot of people there, it was kind of quiet, except there was one man. One man who I, I thought probably was a homeless man who came in from outside. And he was talking to everybody, trying to get something. I wasn't sure what he was doing, but he was trying to, he was, he was definitely talking to people and trying to get people's attention. And when he saw me come in, um, 
he immediately started talking to me. And I felt this like, you know, social pressure, like, oh, people are watching. It's quiet in here except for this one person. There's a lot of people. And so I gave in to public pressure and I just decided to ignore him. And I just, you know, you know how you just like pretend like you're just busy? You know, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm reading the menu, you know. You know, <laughs> you know, it's not a complicated thing, but no, no, I really need to focus. I'm, I'm sorry, no, no, I'm, I'm really, fo- you know. And, and I just... I just, uh, I just decided because of the pressure I felt, I didn't want to be embarrassed. I decided just to ignore him. And my daughter and I, we placed our order. We ordered a few things. And after we ordered and paid, uh, the, the guy kept going around and he kept talking to people. He kept talking to me from across the room. And finally, as I sat there and waited for the, our order, I thought, I just felt convicted. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm not being like Jesus at all. This is not at all what Jesus would have done. And, um, and I was really, you know, you know, again, I was just convicted. So I thought, I need to do something. So I just decided, with all eyes on me, you know, I mean, it was clearly everybody was aware of this man. I just walked over and I said, hey, is there something that I can help you with? And he proceeded to tell me some things, and, and I honestly, I didn't understand what he was saying. He was saying a lot of different things, and I told him, I said, I don't understand what you need. And eventually, he, he moved on, and he went out, and he left, and uh, we got our order. But even as we left, I thought, I still need to do something. I reached in. I had some cash in my pocket. He was outside on the street talking to more people, and I just said, hey, here's some money. I hope this is helpful for you, and we walked away. But I'm saying that because it is so easy it is so easy, isn't it, to just conform to the pressure around us, to the opinions. And these were strangers. Like, these are people I will never see again, but I was valuing their opinion of me more than I was valuing being like Jesus. And I'm embarrassed that I did that. But it's so easy to conform instead of have conviction. Thank goodness, Jesus had conviction. Our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of pain, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of public pressure and chaos, he stood firm. He stood firm. And that's inspiring because that is holy supremacy in action. That's what it looks like. How are you doing in your life? How are you doing with this? Listen, I know you have pain in your life. It's just because you're human. I don't know what it is, but I know you have it. We all have it. How are you facing the pain in your life? Do you face it with conviction of godliness, of faith and holiness and righteousness? Or when the pressure mounts, you know, whether it's your life, your friends, your finances, your struggle, whatever it is, do you cave? And just conform. Let us be people who stand strong. Let's hold to our faith. Let's be men and women of conviction. This is our King of Kings. This is our Lord of Lords. He brought conviction over conformity. Let's read on. Back to John chapter 19. Beginning in verse 17. Carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There 
they crucified him. And with two others, one on each side of Jesus, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So Pilate's finally getting a little bit of conviction, a little, little too late. Verse 23 says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided their clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is, so, so this is what the five soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Holy supremacy brings conviction over conformity, and holy supremacy embraces important over immediate. Important over immediate. Again, it's an interesting part of this story that we're reading here. Here you see Jesus actually being put on the cross. This is the beginning of his death. And it's the culmination of this entire event. And around Jesus, you see people, you know, and, um, oh, and, and, and you see these soldiers. And these soldiers are negotiating for Jesus's clothes. Right? They're at the foot of the cross. And why are they negotiating for his clothes? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe it's a little side hustle that they have. Maybe they're bored, right? They're just bored. Maybe they're poor and they just need a little extra cash. But whatever it is, the soldiers in this scenario are focused on the immediate. Like what's right there right now? And then in contrast, right? In the movie, the camera tilts up. And there's Jesus hanging on the cross. And what is he thinking about? He's thinking about his mother. He's looking at the people around him. He sees John, his disciple. He sees his mom. And he connects them and says, he says, John, I want you to take care of my mother. And so there's an incredible contrast here. that The king of kings, the lord of lords, in the midst of his his greatest agony in his final hours is thinking about other people. You've got the soldiers who are engrossed in themselves, right? The immediate. And then you've got Jesus who is, is thinking about the important. This is what holy supremacy looks like. Embracing what is important, even over what is immediate. Now, listen, I'm not suggesting that there aren't times in our lives where we have to deal with the immediate. Certainly there are. I mean, we're sitting in this room 
and all of a sudden we hear jazz music playing in the background, for example, right? Which we did a few minutes ago. And I got up because I thought it was coming through the speakers. I went back there and I said, hey, can we turn this down? Turns out there's a live jazz band out there, you know, and so you can't turn it down, right? You, yeah, you can't turn down the live jazz band. And so we just kind of had to roll with it. You know, and I thought, well, you know, I was talking to Ball. I was like, I guess there's worse things that could happen in life, right? You know, to have jazz music playing in the back. And the smell of bacon, by the way, as you go out there. So bacon and jazz. I mean, it's really not that bad. But that's an immediate thing, you know. I'm not, so I'm not suggesting. I mean, if the fire alarms go off in here, we're not going to like, well, you know, let's just focus on what's important right now. No, let's exit and then regroup. And, and, and so there are certainly times in our life when we have to focus on the immediate. But there are times, very often in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, that I am consumed by what's now, what I can see. And I forget what is greater and what is by faith. And that's the point. Holy supremacy embraces what is important, even over what is immediate. You know, one a filter or one lens that I try to use in my life, and I'm not great at this, but I'm really working hard at trying to get good at this, especially when I'm in difficult situations or have to make difficult decisions, is I just try to ask myself, what will I be proud of a year from now? You know, a year from now, and I just picked that random time, but a year from now when the emotions have died down, when the urgency has calmed down, when oh my gosh, this is the most important thing ever. You have to deal with this now. When all that's gone and I'm telling the story, sitting around at dinner with some friends and like, hey, whatever happened to that thing a year ago that was so urgent? Well, this is what happened. As I'm retelling the story a year from now, what will I be proud of? As I'm saying what I did, what will I be proud of for myself? It's just a little question that I a little lens I try to use, a question I try to ask myself so that it helps me in the immediate to make a good decision. Amen. You know, I have plenty of things in my life, plenty of stories I can tell you where I look back and I'm embarrassed at what I did. I, I regret what I did. I just told you one a few minutes ago. You know, and so I have plenty of those. But the way that you get out of those is by starting today to plant seeds of righteousness and holiness that will bear fruit down the road. It's not the, it's not the immediate, but it's the important things that I have found, and this is just my experience, that I'm not embarrassed to talk about a year from now are times when I've been gracious, times when I've been kind, times when I've been selfless, times when I've, you know, given even though I haven't gotten. You know, these are things... In th these are the kind of things that a year from now I generally am proud of as I look back Amen. and talk about it. This is what we're talking about. And this is what Jesus did. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. In the midst of his rejection, his pain, his disappointment, the chaos, he kept his eye on what was important over what was immediate. This is holy supremacy in action, is it not? Yeah. And it's inspiring. Amen. Holy supremacy wow. chooses importance over immediate. Let's strive to be like this. Let's admire and let's follow the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords. Let's look at one more. Back to our text, John 19, verse 28. It says, later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there. They soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Skip ahead to verse 38. It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. When Pilate, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Remember that story in John chapter 3. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, and two of, uh, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Again, here we see the end of the story. Here we see Jesus dying, the culmination of, of all of the events. We see him finally surrendering the supremacy that we talked about. But as Jesus is, is dying, there's people around. Specifically, it mentions two people, Joseph and Nicodemus, right? Two people who did a very, very kind thing for Jesus and his body. They prepped Jesus for burial. But here's a contrast, right? I mean, here's the contrast. It mentions Joseph and Nicodemus. Joseph, it says, was a secret follower of Jesus. He was secret. Why? Well, because he was afraid of the leaders. So here you got Joseph, who's a secret follower of Jesus. And then you got Nicodemus, who it references as the guy who came in the middle of the night and met Jesus. Remember back in John chapter 3. Now, the Bible never says why Nicodemus came in the middle of the night, but, you know, it seems very, very similar. You got two men, two men who clearly are choosing to limit their faith. You got these two men who, who, who are limiting in, limited in their faith, who are handling the dead body of a man who openly gave everything for his faith. I mean, that's quite a contrast there, wouldn't you say? I mean, that's a huge co contrast. You've got comfortable faith helping committed faith, right? Holy supremacy lives in commitment over comfort. You've got two guys here who are, are helping Jesus. And I'm not knocking, I'm not trying to be condescending to what they did. I mean, they, what they did was an, a, a, an amazing thing. It was kind what they did. But you can't, you, I can't not see the contrast. I can't not see you've got two people who are practicing comfortable faith handling somebody who had committed faith. You know, it's like the, that riddle. What is that riddle? Like, um, you know, when you have bacon and eggs for breakfast, right? Who, who gave more for that breakfast? The chicken or the pig, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's that kind of thing. It, commitment versus comfort. Sometimes, I think we can be like this. 
Sometimes we can seek comfortable faith instead of really seeking committed faith. We, we try to adjust things, we try to adjust things to our faith instead of adjusting our faith to the things God has brought our way. It reminds me a lot of, um, and I may have told you this, but I shared this, but this is a great example of, of when my wife and I go out to dinner. When Leslie and I go to a, a, a restaurant, especially if it's a restaurant we've never been at, we, we always approach the menu the exact same way. She opens the menu up and she reads everything. And she asks questions about what's good. And she makes a choice based on what's available on the menu. I, however, no matter what restaurant it is, I go in and immediately look for the burger section. That's just what I do. I'm like, yes, do you have a burger, though? Yeah, I see your menu. You're like, sir, this is, you know, this is a Thai restaurant. We don't really say, no, yeah, but can you make me a burger? Maybe some fries. You know, my point is this. My point is it's okay when you go to a restaurant to order whatever you want, right? You're the customer. But this is not the nature of our relationship with God. No, that is not how it works with God. God is God. We are not. We're not the customers when it comes to God. We are the servants. We are the followers. We are subservient to God. And sometimes we like to try to flip that around. We've got to change to be like him Instead of trying to fit him into what we think things should be. This was Jesus. This was the King of Kings. This was the Lord of Lords. In the midst of his rejection and pain and disappointment and chaos, he did not implement his own will. Instead, he sought the will of the Father. That is holy supremacy. That is seeking commitment even over comfort. And Jesus did not, like me in a restaurant, you know, try to fit what he wanted into what it is. We do this sometimes with Bible verses, right? You know, we're like, well, I know what I think it should say. Let me go find a verse that backs it up. That's not how it works. We conform to what it says. So let us be like our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Let's live commitment, even over comfort. Conviction over conformity, importance over immediate, commitment over comfort. This, this was Jesus. This is why he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to close out here with a short video clip. This is a short video clip of something that happened yesterday. It's a, uh, it's a clip from a college basketball game in, wh- in which uh, Syracuse University, I'm holding for applause. Yeah, okay, good, yeah, good, excellent. Good, thank you. Are playing the Evil Hurricanes of Miami. And what you're going to see here is, this happened yesterday, this is the final seconds The score is tied, and this is the final seconds, and then this is what happens. Cleveland, tried to shoot. Mintz, still with a dribble, lost it. It's Copeland for the win! Yes! Yes! Gradier Copeland is your hero! Whoa! Gradier! 
Okay, the point of that video, well, hey, I just wanted to show it because it's so awesome. But the point I'm making is this, victory feels good. It doesn't, it feels good. This doesn't have to be your team, it's my team, but victory, it feels good. And this that I just showed you, it's just a game. It doesn't really matter in the scope of things. But in Jesus, we have the most epic win of all times. Epic because of the consequences, right? The, re- the complete redemption of humankind to God. It's epic because of that. But it's also epic because for a moment, for a moment, it looked like it wasn't going to work. It looked like it was going to fail. It looked like we might lose. But Jesus, Jesus surrendered his supremacy for me and for you. And he waded through darkness and despair and rejection and disappointment and pain. All things we can relate to, right? And he did it full of conviction, focused on what was important, fully committed to us. And thankfully, Jesus was a rock and he won. And that is why Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you. Love you guys. Thank you.